All right, so today we are continuing, finishing up a, a three-part series you can see over here on this banner. Um, we've been talking about resting in hope, walking in faith. Today we'll pick up with pursuing in love. And let me just briefly recap what we've talked about. What we've determined is that we rest in the hope of Jesus Christ. So there's no hope in this world like Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that He is a hope that's an anchor for our souls. And what that means is that He is the one who can keep you from drifting and keep you from shifting in some of life's worst times. Um, and so we rest in Him. Jesus told us, He said, Come to me, all you who labor, weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, unless you think that means He's saying you can come and be lazy... His very next words are, take my yoke upon you. And that, that yoke is a work terminology, a work tool. So Jesus says rest is, is not in inactivity. It's not in not working. It's, it's not about what you do. Rest is about who you're with. Jesus says if you'll yoke up to me, you'll find rest. He's the only hope for your soul. And so as a church and as a people, one of our goals is to be a people who rest in that. We're not striving and trying and working hard for our salvation. We rest in what Jesus has done on the cross and in the empty tomb. He's already done it. It's not about what we can do. It's about what He has done. Amen, church? That's resting in hope. But He's called us to walk out our faith. So we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And how does that change how we live? So we live differently as a result of looking to Him for our hope. We live differently. We live as a unique kind of people. So what do we do? What's different? Well, He's transforming us. Let me give you three ways that we as a church are committed to live differently. We're committed to gather together like this. Every week, we think if, uh, if, if we can be together, the more time we spend together in a meaningful way, the more we'll look and act like Jesus. You know, he, he hasn't just called us to follow along behind Him. He's actually calling us to become like Him. So it's, it's a discipleship. We want to be like Jesus. Um, I think about my days as a high school wrestler. And I, I think back, you know, if I wanted to be a great wrestler, there was no way I was going to improve in that sport unless somebody got close to me. Unless somebody grabbed a hold of me and started showing me how to do certain moves and techniques. You can't learn this sport from a distance, right guys? you gotta get, you got to get in with each other. So it's the same way in our walk of faith. Like we do life together. And there's a kind of togetherness that benefits us. That's why we gather. And then the second thing is we group. We do life in groups. Life groups, D groups. We, we believe that real discipleship only happens in real relationship. So we, we gather in worship like this and we group together in small groups. And then lastly, we go with the gospel. So three G's, gather, group, and go, right? We go with the gospel. And what I mean by that is you go to work and you live out your faith. Or you go to school and you tell your classmates about the hope you found in Jesus. And occasionally... You do like what we're, we're doing next month. We're sending a, a team to the Middle East. We'll, we'll be sending five of us, 
are going to Lebanon to work alongside uh, our mission partner, Chris Todd. And we're going to work with him to uh, reach refugees with the gospel. Because we believe that going for Christ impacts our following of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He put those two things together. Following him is fishing for men. So that's, that's what we do to walk out our faith as a church. We're gathering, we're grouping, and we're going with the gospel. We believe those things are going to shape us as followers of Jesus. And then lastly, today, I want to talk to, you, to us about a transformation that is within that comes out. All right? So it's pursuing in love. Pursuing in love. Jesus was asked, um, what is the greatest commandment? And you might would think he would choose one of the top ten, you know, that God gave. Um, you should have no other gods before me, you know, and on down the line. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't murder. But maybe one of those ten commandments. But Jesus says, when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Very simply, Right? And so we believe that if we're going to follow Jesus, first we rest in what he's done on the cross. We walk out our faith in daily life. And then we believe that there's this internal obedience that sort of works its way out of us in love. We pursue God in love and we pursue our neighbors, our others with love. So I want to talk about that a little bit today um, and kind of maybe help... Uh, Help us identify with what Jesus meant by that. Let's just start with the scripture. So if you will take your Bible, one thing we do here is we try to honor the word of God. I know you just sat down in those comfortable chairs, but I'm going to get you to stand up to honor the reading of God's word. Um, We believe that what he says is most important. So after he speaks, you can be seated and listen to me for a few minutes. Okay. Mark chapter 12 is where we're reading. I just want us to read... um, where Jesus gives us this commandment to love. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that, he answered them well, asked him. So they're asking Jesus, Which commandment is the most important or greatest of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, and he's quoting here from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then verse 30, here come the commands. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Heavenly Father, we pray today as we try to understand what you want to teach us. Lord, that you help us to live it out. We know that this kind of love is a miraculous love. Like, there's no way I can love people the way you call me to love people unless you create it in me. And that's the truth for every person in this room. 
Um, the reason that we love others is because we've first been loved. The reason we love God is because we have first been loved by God. And so, Father, it's my prayer today that you teach us from your word some very practical ways that this should be lived out. And uh, God, help us to see the miraculous nature of love. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so first, um, how would you define love? You know, if I asked you to define love, how would you define it? If, if we want to be a people who, who are loving, we probably should know what love is. And strangely enough, love is pretty difficult to define. Uh, I went to the trusty resource this week, um, Google, and was uh, looking into what is love. And you know what one of the biggest resources on love is? E-Harmony, would you believe it? Right? E-Harmony apparently has a lot to tell us about love. And uh, so they, they uh, you know, E-Harmony talks about love in terms of a feeling, um, even infatuation or chemistry. There was a lot of times reading this whole article about how love is chemistry. And I thought, where's the chemistry? Um, and then compatibility. And uh, the older I get, love is more... A commitment, like these are all things from eHarmony, right? Which is a really great, trustworthy source. Um, then some statistics eHarmony gives. Again, note the source, eHarmony. Uh, Americans, 88% of Americans still say that love is their primary reason for marriage. So it's not about trying to have babies or because he's got lots of money or because... Uh, I got to get out of mom and dad's house or any of those things. Instead, 88% of Americans still say, I want to marry somebody because I, want, I love them. All right, so love matters. All right, um, 72% um, of, of people, I guess, eHarmony has polled, actually believe, still believe in love at first sight. Love at first sight. I read that and I thought, well, they didn't poll my wife. Uh, um, if you ask my wife when we first met, she can't remember. <laughs> so it, it wasn't uh, love at first sight for us. I don't know if it was love at first sight for you. Uh, Coach Hartzog was telling me just before the service, he was like, man, I'm so glad to be here. I actually uh, proposed to my wife in the parking lot out here. And I was like, that's, that's awesome, man. He was telling me that uh, they came, their first date was at the Dollar Theater. Uh, so that's what this place used to be was the dollar movie theater that came here on a date and apparently it was romantic and he'd saved lots of money and thought, well, hey, why not, right? So, um, coach, good, good job, man. Um, all right, so how would you define love? Here's the thing. The Bible, the Bible gives us, for a definition, it gives us some great descriptions. You can read in 1 Corinthians 13 in particular what love does, how love behaves. And what that does, it helps us to know this is love, this is not love. It kind of helps you to identify this is love. So 1 Corinthians 13, you know, it's one of those that's quoted a lot in weddings and we think of it as a romantic passage. It says, you know, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. 
Love keeps no record of wrongs. And it go, keeps going down this list that we think, you know, this is, this is a great passage for my wife or for my husband to read, right? But here's one thing we, we need to note is that 1 Corinthians 13 happens to fall after 1 Corinthians 12 and before 1 Corinthians 14, right? And so both of those chapters, believe it or not, are not really about marriage. They're about church. They're about the people of God living in relationship with one another. So contextually, we have to first see 1 Corinthians 13 as a passage about how the people of God should love one another. And the beauty is, that's modeled for us in how God loves us. God has demonstrated His love for us in it being patient and kind and not envious, not boastful, right? That's how God has modeled love for us. And he says, this is what love is. This is how you love one another. Now, certainly that applies to your marriage. But it first applies to one another. All right, so we're going to talk a lot about loving one another. But before we do, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the first and greatest commandment is to love God. God. So I want us to start there. We're talking about pursuing in love. So let's just make it clear. We're talking about a vertical pursuit. Pursuing God in love. Pursue God in love. Um, Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is asked this question, he quotes the Old Testament with, uh, with this statement from what's called the Shema. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here's the point he's making. If there truly is one real God who has created everything, then that one real and true God is worthy of all your love. He's worthy of all your worship. So Jesus says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says... So love the Lord your God. And then he gives us four specific things. And uh, he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So we'll just briefly touch on these. All your heart. When the Bible talks about heart, it's not talking about the organ in the middle of your chest that pumps the blood. It's not, it's, this is not a, an anatomy lesson. It's talking about the center of your being, the control panel. What, what is it that determines how you live and what you do? And it's sort of the, the middle center piece. It's your inner self. And Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart. All your soul. We're talking about the whole person. So we started way into the middle, right in on the control center. And then Jesus says, love God with all of you. Everything about you should be described as loving God. This vertical kind of worshipful love toward God. All your soul. And then thirdly, all your mind. So Jesus says, with all of your thoughts, are you loving God? And then lastly, all your strength. And I was looking at this word, and it doesn't just mean all your muscles or all your power, uh, that your physical 
power you're able to wield. When it says the word strength, what it means is everything at your disposal. So all your wealth, all your possessions, all everything you could possibly leverage to show love for God. That's what he means here when he says love God with all your strength. Everything about you that says I can, I can wield this power. That power should be wielded to love vertically. That's what Jesus says. But I want us to cue in on one word. There's four ways he's listed, but he's given us one word with all of them. And here it is. It's this little three-letter word. All. And this is the word that makes this command so incredibly hard because aren't we such a divided people? Our affections are so divided. Um, Jesus warns in Matthew 6, and I'm just going to read this to you. Matthew um, chapter 6 and verse 24 he warns specifically about money because he says money, you know, is one of those it's one of those things like we get confused and we think money is something we should treasure. And he says, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So specifically, he's talking about money here, but he's talking about being a divided person in terms of your loyalties, in terms of your love. And so Jesus would echo himself when he says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Like he says, I won't settle for less than all of it. I want all of it. Love is... Not duty. It's desire. You agree with that? Um, if uh, this is mine and my wife's 10 year anniversary is this summer. And uh, just last night she was busy planning away, trying to figure out what we're going to do for an anniversary. We've always said every year ending in zero was going to do something special. And so here comes our first one. With uh, ending in zero. We've made it. Um, celebration. Uh, so we're going to celebrate. But suppose on our anniversary, I, I, um, I go out and I buy some chocolates and flowers. And I, I come home and I'm like trying to make a moment out of it or something. you know. So I go up to the front door. I ring the doorbell. Bling, bong, right? And Lauren comes to the door and here I am. Chocolates and flowers. And she says, ah, what? And I said, well, it's our anniversary. She felt like I should. You know, it's probably what people do on their 10-year anniversary. Here. (laughs) How well is that going to go over, right? Um, Not well at all. Why? Because true love is not out of compulsion, right? It's not out of obligation. It's not out of duty. It's not... I don't, I, don't, I don't express love because I feel like I should or because I feel like I ought to. All right, so that puts some tension on this, doesn't it? Because Jesus says, I'm commanding you to love God and to love others. So built into this command is some ought to, right? Some should. Like we ought to love God. So go back to it, just rewind. 
and let's play it back. So I, I, our anniversary, I come to the doorbell, ring the door, bing bong. She comes to the door. Hey, babe, uh, I just woke up so happy to be with you again today. Like 10 years we've been doing this and you make me the happiest man in the world. I, I got you some flowers and chocolate. I know it's not much, but I just wanted to spend some money on you because I treasure you and I want to be with you today. I've planned a whole day for us just to be together because being with you just makes me so happy. Ten more years. Ten more years. <laughs> Woo! I'm going to get to 20. All right, so here's the thing, right? That was much better, right? Why? Because here's the thing. My joy was in her. I'm delighting in her. Now, she wouldn't look at me and say to me, yeah, it makes you happy. You're all about you, Justin. It's always want to be about you. You bought those flowers because it makes you happy to buy me flowers. She wouldn't say that. Because you know what? She actually loves the fact that I celebrate my own joy in her. And here's the crazy thing. One of my favorite teachers says it this way. He says, um, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So when we come to God with true delight in our heart, truly, genuinely loving him, he loves it. We're making much of him through desire. And when God is commanding our love, he's commanding desire. Now, I know that's wild. That's what makes this love a miracle. We'll talk more about that in a minute. A picture comes to my mind. We don't have time to read the story, but in Luke chapter 7, you could read this for yourself. Jesus is having a meal at... Simon the Pharisee's house, and while they're having a meal, a woman comes in. The Bible describes her as a a sinful woman, which usually means she was a woman of the night. She comes in, and she has an ointment, and she just begins pouring this ointment on Jesus' feet, and she's just crying, and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. This is an incredible display of love. I mean, the affection, the emotions are filling the room. And Simon, the Pharisee, whose house Jesus is at, he, the Bible says he thinks to himself, well, Jesus can't be a prophet because if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. He wouldn't want her touching him. Jesus, the Bible tells us, answers his thoughts. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Right? Jesus actually says, answered his thoughts. And Jesus says, Simon, I'll tell you a story. And Simon says, okay, let's hear it. And he says, hey, man, there were two guys who owed, owed money. One, a lot of money. And the other, a little bit of money. And the master forgave both of their debts. Jesus just asked him a quick question. He says, which of them do you suppose loved the master more? And Simon thought, he didn't have to think very long. He said, uh, well, I suppose it'd be the, the one who was forgiven the, the greater debt. And Jesus said, that's right. And then Jesus compared Simon to this woman. He said, you know, I came into your house 
You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she's been washing my feet with her tears. I came into your home. and You didn't greet me with love and affection. But she's been weeping over me with love and affection. Kissing me ever since I got here. And he just paints this picture. And he sums it up this way. He says, um, basically, he turns to the woman and he says... uh, Your sins, though they are many, are forgiven. Then he turns back to Simon and he says, And he who um, has been forgiven little, loves little. Now the point of this teaching is that when we realize the depth of our need for the mercy and love of God, It's that realization, the depth of that realization is going to impact how much you love God back. If you you think you don't really need God to forgive you all that much, then you're not going to love Him very much. But if you know who you are, like this woman knew who she was. See, Simon's problem was not that he was, uh, it's not that he was a lesser of a sinner. His problem was that he just didn't know himself. He was just as great a sinner as she was. He just didn't know it. He was not aware of his deep need for God. There's a great reality in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, We'll look at this again, but 1 John 4, 19. The writer says this. We love because he first loved us. Can we just say that from memory We love because He first loved us. One more time. Ready? We love because He first loved us. There's nothing in you that wants to love God apart from the fact that He has loved you. But because He has so loved you, you can't help it. That woman in Luke 7 couldn't help but love God in a beautiful way. And he calls us to love God with all that we are. That love for God will then show itself in a pursuit of others. So our second thing here is to pursue others with love. Pursue neighbor with love. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all that you are. And the second is like it, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's an incredibly high standard when you think about it. Um, just think for a minute about all the things you do for yourself. All the things that you're willing to do for yourself. I mean, all of it. You brush your teeth, right? I mean, you start there. You, um, well, we just go down a long list here, right? All the things you do for yourself. Here's a question. Do you love others enough to be willing to do those things for them? Um, I saw a story this week of a man in his late 60s that, I guess late 60s, his wife had, um, his wife of 40 plus years had um, gotten a mental disease, mental disorder and it had disabled her to the point where she couldn't remember how to do anything. She was still breathing and still walking, but she couldn't remember how to do anything. And I just watched a video of him describing 
all the things and all the ways in which he was serving her, showering her, washing her, bathing her, taking care of her in the restroom, brushing her teeth, um, dressing her, taking her everywhere. Get, I mean, you think about all the things you do for yourself. Are you willing to do them for others? And I listened to this man who'd been married to this woman 40, 40 some odd years and he said this and it just blew me away. He said, I love serving my wife this way. And then he said, this illness has taught me how to love. That's amazing. And some of you have been down that road. My wife just lost her dad to Alzheimer's uh, last year. And we, we went through a bit of that together. And uh, that's the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to. He says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. If, if you're not getting it, that's radical. It's like a high standard. And yet there's a, there's a couple of popular ideas among Christians. That, we'll just say some among Christians, but among good people that I kind of want to shatter. Okay, So let's do a little bit of myth busting. Two of these. Ready? First one is this. That you can love people and not like them. Now, I, we're laughing. I'm laughing, right? I mean, because we hear people say that all the time. Well, I love them because I feel like I have to, but I do not like them. Right? You might have family like that. Maybe a cousin or <laughs> Uncle, Uncle John that's just weird. <laughs> Nobody likes him at the reunion. Here's the thing. That's not biblical love. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. Is it even feasible to hear Jesus say, love your neighbor as yourself? Asterisk. Love them. You don't have to like them. Does it even make sense? Not at all. So let's put that away and let's refuse to love that way. A second myth I want to bust. Here's a second one. Here we go. You ready? We think that we can love God and hate people. We really do think that there are some people in the world that we should just hate. And we think that we can hold hatred in our hearts and simultaneously love God. And the Bible would tell us that that is not possible. We were just in 1 John. I just want you to hear these words. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read it like this. We love because He first loved us. We all quoted that, right? Next verse. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. So we learn that this loving of God and loving of neighbor are intricately connected and we cannot sever them. We cannot live in a false reality where we can somehow love vertically and hate horizontally. It is not possible. And the Bible says if we say we love God and yet look to another and hate them, we are liars. 
Let's don't be liars. Right? Let's genuinely love God. And let that love for God impact our love for the world. I mean, this is hard, okay? You may think, well, you're just ridiculous. Of course we love other people. I'm telling you, I remember after September the 11th, 2001, a lot of well-meaning Christians that had hate in their hearts because we had an enemy. Right? A lot of well-meaning people. I hate them. Jesus is not for that. You know, he said in one of his famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say to you, you can buckle up when Jesus says that. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for the one who attacks you. This is hard gospel stuff, y'all. Let's don't pretend like this is easy. This is not easy. Um, I've talked a lot about this man because I greatly admire him, but Martin Luther King Jr. um, He was given a speech one time, and as he's given a speech, his haters lit his house on fire. He's given a speech about unity and love, and somebody comes and says, hey man, they're burning your house down. Martin Luther King goes to his home that's on fire, gets his family out, stands in the front yard and preaches love for those who have attacked him. Radical kind of stuff, y'all. But it's because God first loves us. We love because we've been loved. Three ways, quickly, that you can pursue others with love. And these are... We really need to spend a lot of time with these and we will in the future. But let me just go through them quickly. Three quick ways that you can pursue others with this miraculous kind of love. Ready? Love forgives. Love forgives. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been spit on. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's been mocked. People standing all around saying and doing the nastiest of things. And from the cross, what does he say? Father, what? Forgive them. Woo! You talk about loving your enemies. Listen to what he tells us. Now, he got really specific here in Luke 17. He says this. Pay attention to yourselves. Y'all, this is hard, okay? If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now listen to what he says in Luke 17, 4. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, Jesus says, you must forgive him. You must forgive him. Now, let's just get the picture what Jesus is saying. He's saying... Um, Chad's my friend. Chad, Chad sins against me. I'm really hurt by it. I come to Chad. I'm like, hey, man, you, like, that really hurt me. When you said that, um, that's sin, man. It, it, you hurt me. And Chad goes, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry, brother. I, I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. 
And we walk away, and literally we walk away, and he does it again. Bro, what's going on, man? Right? And he's like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. That's two. Bro, what are you doing? That's three. And we're talking, Jesus says, seven times in a day. Now, does he mean on eight you can't do it? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? He didn't give, he's not giving you seven little check boxes. Well, dude, you are out. You're out. Seven, that's it, you're done. That's not the way that worked. His point is, I'm, giving, I'm telling you, forgive. Like there's not a setting love doesn't forgive. So love forgives. Secondly, love is crazy generous. This is probably the area I struggle the most. And God is constantly putting me in situations to, uh, to, to make me realize that the things he's entrusted to me are not mine. It's not my stuff. It's just not mine. Like this thing, it's not mine, right? And everything in it is his. And God's constantly putting me in a situation to test my willingness to love generously. Um, we, we were encouraged uh, by Russ early on to be generous so that we can send students to beach camp. And, and I want to reiterate that. It's going to be an incredible week. It's going to be transformative in the lives of teenagers. And I love that. And I want all of us to consider, you know, giving generously to make that happen. But the reason that you're not generous is the same reason I'm not generous. Um, and it's because we just don't love very well. And I think it's in, in those moments you get to the bottom of it and you start to realize the reason I'm not giving is because... Ultimately, I'm not good at receiving. Because if I realize that I am needy, poor, wretched, that when God gives me something, I'm so blessed to give it away. But if I think that I have somehow earned and made this way for myself, I haven't received, but I have pulled it together on my own, then what I do when I look at a need is I go... Man, I got my stuff. Get your stuff. Take care of you. I'm taking care of me. You take care of you. And that is how we think, isn't it? The truth about generosity is this. If you're a bad giver, it's because you're a bad receiver. So I want to call you to love deeper with crazy generosity. God modeled it for us, right? For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. That's crazy generosity. What did he give? He didn't give a hundred bucks. Gave his only son. Thirdly, love tells the truth. And this is, this is hard. Love tells the truth. Now I want to caveat here. Love tells the truth in love. Okay. Some of us are really quick truth speakers. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 is, is if you're quick to speak but not loving you're just making noise like you're just a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal you're not being love but love is truth telling 
Jesus models this for us in John chapter 8. There's a woman who's been caught in adultery and she's brought and thrown at Jesus' feet. And she, she falls at Jesus' feet and the, the, the men, they, have, they brought her there and they say, Hey, the law says we should stone and kill this woman. What do you say? They're constantly putting Jesus against the law. What do you say we should do? And Jesus said, Hey, he who's without sin, cast the first stone. Right. He who's without sin cast the first stone. Um, the guys looked around. Obviously, they knew they were sinners, right? Jesus leveled the playing field. And ultimately, all of her accusers left. And Jesus pressed into this relationship with this woman. I, I imagine him kind of kneeling, getting down on her level. And he says to her, where are your accusers? Has no one stuck around to condemn you? And she says, no, they're all gone. And I want us to zero in on what Jesus says, because this is what I mean when I say love tells the truth. Here's what I mean. Jesus leaned in and he said, well, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So love tells the truth this way. Grace first. And truth next. I love you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not your judge, but I got to tell you the truth. There is a judge. And you can't sin anymore. Trust. Have faith. Rest in Christ. Walk in faith. Be loved and give love, right? All these things. So love tells the truth. And that's not easy, y'all. We live in a culture where our world, our, our um, culture is saying that love accepts everything and anything. Like our culture says, if you don't accept me like I want to be, you're not loving me. That's not true. Now, we're not called to be anybody's judge, right? But we're called to tell the truth. So we have to find a way, and it's not easy. We look at Jesus for our model, but we find a way to kneel into someone who has, who has stumbled into the worst kinds of sin. And we find a way to kneel in and go, I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you, but I want you to know that's not what God intends for you. God wants you to walk in truth, and that's not it. Turn away from your sin and trust that He's good. This is not easy. tell you of personal struggles but you know them all the same where you're walking this line of how do I love this person and tell them the truth and I would just tell you let's look to Jesus let me finish up with this all that we've talked about is miraculous the love that we're called to, to pursue God in love, pursue others in love, it's a miracle. Here's the thing. Look, everybody's eyes right here. You can't do it. That's the point of this command is for Jesus to say, I'm commanding you to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the point is, you can't do it. 
Like you can't do it. I can't. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. I can't do that. And the point of the command is this. Jesus says, yeah, you can't. But I can. Put all your hope in me. Put all your faith in me. Let me love you deeply. And you'll be amazed what I can do through you. Let the love of God transform you. Be a great receiver and then a giver and a giver. Does that make sense? Those motions, we're receivers, recipients of his love, and we give it right back in worship. And then we receive his love and we give to our world, to our neighbors, to others all around us, to Muslim refugees in Lebanon. We want to love them because Christ first loved us. And I want to tell you today, if you've never received the love of Jesus in a way where you say, you know what? I can't do all that God wants me to do. I can't make myself right with God. You can't. The beauty of the gospel is that God came to you when you couldn't get to him. He sent his only son to die on a cross in your place. And if you would put all of your faith in Jesus and receive the love that God has given for you, he welcomes you into his family and he'll show you the way. He will show you the way and he's a good father. So I want to invite you today two ways. Church, let's rest in hope. Let's walk in faith and let's pursue in love. Maybe today you're thinking, I need to lean in to Jesus and just be loved by him to put all my faith in what he's done on the cross. And if that's you, don't wait another minute. Give your heart and life to Jesus. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting for? Give your life to Christ.